Hello, welcome to the Comparative Agility Podcast. My name is Simon Hilton, and in this series we'll be talking with world leaders in agility to help understand how we can make continuous improvement a part of your company's DNA. In this episode, we talk with Jenny Jepson about the Agile leadership mindset and how within Agile, there's an opportunity for everyone to take up a leadership role and this mindset within your organization. Hello and welcome to this episode of Comparative Agility. And on this episode, we speak with Jenny Jepson about the Agile Leadership Mindset Capability on Comparative Agility. Thank you for joining me, Jenny. How are you? Thank you so much, Simon. I'm great. Thanks. That's great. Uh, it's really great to have you here on the podcast um, with, a, a ter- with a capability that's actually really interesting to me, um, which is Agile Leadership. Um, and typically, you know, when you talk to a lot of people about Agile, it's all about servant leadership and it's about self-organizing teams and things like that. But there's not always a lot of focus put on leadership, even though um, some people may equate it with a classical way of thinking or a classical management theory. But I mean, it's actually not that simple. What are your thoughts? No, that's exactly right. And when we are working in organizations that are moving to more agile ways of working, it's typically the the middle management and and upper management levels that struggle the most with this way of working because it requires a different way of leading. You can't just sort of hang on to the old, maybe command and control kind of ways of, of doing leadership in an agile organization. So it really sort of tips the whole organization on its, on its head, if you will. You mm. know, thinking about the organi- organization as a system, um, if we've got teams who are working in an agile way or even a few people who are working agile, it, it, it upsets the system. So we need to figure out how to, how to make it work. And agile leadership is, is a way to do that. How do you first introduce the concept of agile to someone who's a leader though? Like, how does that first conversation go for you? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, you know, it, it depends a lot on the, the leader. So okay. if they are open to agile and maybe excited about agile ways of working, then we talk about how, how you can make agile work by increasing how we understand together and plan together and validate together and reflect together. So using some of the, the um, language, if you will, of agile. And if it's a, a leader who's like, oh, agile, no, I don't wanna, you know, that's just yeah. the latest, greatest that everybody's doing kind of thing. And this too shall pass. And I just wanna hang on to my old ways of working. Then we're really looking at, you know, okay, tell me a little bit more about the the challenges that you're having in the organization and what has worked for you, what hasn't worked for you and start where they are. So not forcing in any special agile ceremony or anything Mm. like that, but really answering the needs. And I, you know, we do that no matter where they are on their agile journeys, you know, looking at the challenges and not assuming that an agile methodology is one size fits all. I'm not, I'm very pragmatic, I would say, um, in, in agile ways of working, because mm-hmm. I don't believe that any one methodology fits every single organization. So the leadership around it needs to, yeah, uh, support and encourage Agile ways of working and helping the teams get through the, the shuhari, if you will. So yep. from yep. going from beginner to master level. Yeah, it's funny how you say not one uh, agile framework fits for everyone. It's kind of that whole dogmatic side of agile is quite unagile if you think about it, because it's um, yes, it's not it's not dealing with the context and the change that's happening inside the organization. So no. Um, <laughs> But um, it's funny because I think I think we have to kind of step back a bit here because leadership almost in an agile context is sometimes precast as a, a, as you said, command and control, but not all leadership's always, always been like that. It's really up to the leader to decide 
how they lead. So is that what you're talking about when you say finding the context or, or what? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So going in and having all the answers doesn't work for mm. any organization, whether you're a leader or a consultant or a team member or whatever role you play. So it's really listening to what's working, what's not working, and then what can we do to fix things that are not working? And what we normally see is that it comes down to, yeah, maybe, maybe one big thing is that people are not involved and engaged in the, the various process or decision-making in the organization. And how can leaders involve people and really get that engagement and give up control as a leader because if you're involving and engaging people in the decision making that means you as a leader need to maybe step back and take a more facilitative role in that process so how do we understand together how do we plan together how do we validate together and how do we reflect together so that we can get the solutions that we want in that organization I love that. Um, and in fact, I mean, a lot of leaders can feel a lot of pressure and the way, the way you just spoke about it, kind of the one the way I heard it was you can actually get help from your organization in leading. Um, you don't have to take it all on your shoulders and have all the answers. And especially in an increasing, I, I think at an executive or leadership level, it can be increasingly stressful to expect to have all the answers in a massively changing world. Um, totally. We're going to be seeing things that are, and I'm going to use this word, which has been used a lot, unprecedented, uh, especially in the current times. Yeah. Um, so it's really important for, I, I think, more than ever that a leader can take on that consultative approach. But at the end of the day, um, agile leadership is leadership. Um, it is, it is uh, taking the first step. It's, it's making those decisions. But it sounds like that consultative sharing of the, um, the decision making is, is really the, the, the evolution that happens is that what we're talking totally about? totally and it, it's yeah. such a mindset shift and i think even looking at sort of my own background if you will and, and managing projects and and feeling that strong need within myself to prove how good i am how smart mm. i am how great i am at making decisions how much i know because when I do that, then people believe that, okay, yes, yeah, she deserves to have that position or she's a credible yeah. leader or whatever. And what we're doing is really teaching or showing leaders now that, you know what, that's impossible. And as you said, Simon, the whole stress associated with that. I mean, if we can get leaders to the, the point where they're comfortable saying, I don't know, but yeah. let's figure it out <laughs> together. And, you know, thinking about past organizations that, that I worked with, when leaders have done this, especially in a more maybe traditional mindset organization, the, the people, team members are like, what? You don't know something? Oh, why are you getting paid what you're getting paid? Why do you have the title yeah. you have if you don't know? What do you mean you don't know? And that we also need to shift, right? So that's also mm. a mindset shift. And we need, as you said, there are so many things that we don't understand that, that the knowledge emerges as we go. And if we don't do it together, we're not gonna get the solutions that, that get us to where we need to be. And bringing in those different perspectives. I mean, you know, that's all the research shows that when we have different points of view included, we get outlying perspectives and mm. people from different backgrounds together, we get better stuff done. I'm really vibing this conversation because I was thinking that just as I, as you were talking, I was visualizing this situation where an executive feels that their, their worth or their incentives are lined up with the words or decisions coming out of their mouth. But that's, we know that's not the case. It doesn't matter about you. It's not an individual, it's not a, it's not a star player sport. It's about the outcomes that you produce. And if that's, and if you, are if the outcomes of your team through through inclusion through empowerment is getting great outcomes and yeah of course that's what you'll be incentivized for and that's the, how you'll be recognized as a great leader but it's only through your team that you become a great leader not through the direction that you give so there's a, an almost some space that's created there to to invite others into that leadership space and to yeah. but to still provide some sort of direction and and uh uh, validation of, of what we're going to be moving on to next. 
Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. We talk about leaders at every level in the organization and yes. leadership is not tied to a title. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is where I think English has an advantage. You know, there's manage management and then there's leadership and, yep. and we need leadership at every level in an organization. Completely yeah. agree. We actually, we use it in our company. We say leadership is earned, it's not given. It's not that you can give someone a management title, but leadership is a behavior that anyone in the organization can take on because it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a behavior of driving things forward. It's of including, you know, working with and of collaboration and to driving to outcomes. So, you know, anyone yeah. can take that leadership stance yes. inside the organization. Yes. And it's so exciting because when, yeah. you, when you're able to do that and see that, hey, I have the possibility to influence this or I get to make this decision or whatever that maybe you haven't made before, in the organization, it increases your motivation. I mean, mm -hmm. dopamine is released in your brain and it's like, yes, you have this feeling of, this is awesome. This is the place I wanna be. And I mm -hmm. mean, who doesn't wanna create that in, in the organization? And one of the, I mean, one of the things that, that we also see is what are the policies and procedures in an organization that sort of get in the way of managers or leaders at, at, you know, the executive level in an organization being able to give control, right? So if we're rewarded for our great decisions or if we're rewarded mm -hmm. for the sort of anti-pattern, then yep. how, do, how do we change that? So we, we need to fix the environment as well. Yeah, exactly. So that isn't that we can the make that Yeah. Isn't that the Peter Drucker quote? Show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. Yep, you bet. Um, love that one. <laughs> Because um, I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand inside organizations that I've worked in where I had a great uh, self-organizing agile team, which were bringing a new product to market until a senior level director got involved who pushed the product in ways which it wasn't ready for, opened it up to various markets just so they could align it with their incentive structure inside, you know, inside the position. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that's not the first time it's happened. Um, no. Um, it's not the last time. Yeah, no, so. a lot of bad things happen. <laughs> I mean, think about Volkswagen and Wells Fargo yes. and it's just like, oh, people. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Cool. So, so we've talked about agile. We've talked about leadership, how it's something that's forever inside the organization. Um, but I, th I think that's, I really want to hammer this point home that, I mean, just saying that we're going to have self-organizing decentralized teams and everything's going to be okay is not really what I've seen as a, an effective way to run an agile organization. You still require individuals, let's say, just to, to come forth and to use their uh, knowledge and use their skills to help teams and help, uh, help the whole organization reach outcomes through collaborative decision-making, but ultimately setting a direction and, and, and proceeding there with a certain amount of velocity. Yeah. Yeah, totally true. Um, my good friend, David Marquet, he uh, talks about commitment is not a team sport. Commitment yeah. comes from the individual. And yes, individuals yeah. make up a team, but in the end, we need to commit individually to the changes that we want to make, the outcomes that we want to attract, try to achieve together. So uh, recognizing that we're made up of I mean, the organization is made up of a bunch of individuals that, that have different starting points, different mindsets, different biases, different, all sorts of things, right? So how can we get people together to solve the challenges that we have together yeah. and really come up with some great things? And eventually decisions need to be made, right or wrong. Uh, if we're going to move in a speedy fashion to cope with change, we need decisions made and just to move forward and then keep on making those early and frequent decisions to, uh, to, to keep the organization moving. Correct. And the people who are closest to that information should be the ones making the decision. It's just crazy mm -hmm. that so many organizations still have the decision-making mechanism. You go, you know, you see the issue, yeah. you've got the question, it goes up in the organization, somebody thinks about it up at the top, and then it goes back down to the, the people who are working with the challenge. That is crazy to me. Yeah. It makes no sense whatsoever. When, I, when I'm doing any sort of workshop or leadership or something like that, I, I actually pin that 
that, that decision-making uh, speed against the speed of information. Um, I mean, we used to have times when, you know, you could have the re monthly reports done and that was it, but really we're in a world of information flowing all the time. So there's no time for the information to flow all the way up to the top of the tree and then come all the way back down no. to the decision before no. it's just old and stale. And we need that uh, there's people on the front line to make decisions quickly so they can serve yes. the customer and serve the market as, 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 as and in the right context at the right time. Yeah, and not be afraid to make those decisions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because let's, let's of course, a, let's, let's, yeah, we're going to make let's, mistakes. Let's, yes, everyone makes mistakes, even at the top yeah. of the uh, ladder. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's so much, but it makes it exciting, right? I, I, I think we're, despite all the unprecedented things that we're going through right now, I think organizations, um, people in organizations have a lot of opportunities to do things in a different way, to experiment, to try things, to get closer together, um, you know, connect more, even though we're online most of the time right now, mm. uh, there are so many opportunities that, that we can learn from. And from a leadership perspective, the, the conditions have forced us to act in a different way. And that's really the, the key to mindset shift, right? We have to act our way to new thinking. So yes. there are a lot of great opportunities in, in all this chaos, maybe. I think so. And uh, one thing I often think about is how it's flattened maybe communication structures because everyone's just a, uh, you know, everyone's a Zoom call away. Everyone's a, a, a Teams call away, whatever it is. Um, so maybe it, it is providing a lot of opportunity for people to uh, connect with people if we take that opportunity to, you know, and be a voice of, of leadership within their organization. It isn't a case of being in the boardroom anymore, right? No. It's not no. a case of being having the corner office anymore. Everyone's ahead on on uh, on Zoom. So yes. Yes. Yeah. It's the great equalizer. <laughs> well, I'm hoping we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But you've actually set out some really clear dimensions to agile leadership, which you know we can go through now and people will see on the capabilities. So let's cool. let's take great. them one at a time. So yeah. the first one you you've set out for us is clarity. Yeah. Yeah. We need to understand together. So when we understand where we're going, why we're going there, what we hope to achieve, all of those things, when we understand that together, then we can make those everyday decisions that we need to make and, and make them in the moment we need to make them so that we can move forward. So having that clarity is, is key that understanding, what's the purpose? Why are we doing this? How do we, the, maybe the things that we're doing every day fit into the bigger picture? Because if you don't understand what the bigger picture is, you can't make good decisions about yeah. your own day-to-day -day work. So having that clarity is super important. And that's clarity, that clarity needs to be provided by the leader. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, so usually the context, is set by you know the the top leadership, if you will, mm -hmm. in, in the organization. Usually, that doesn't mean that that those leaders can't also get input to really understand. Hey, where's the market right now? What what do you think is the best thing that we should focus on? But generally, that direction or context is set at at a yeah, I hate to say higher level, but that's the reality of, mm. of how organizations. I, I found it's that yeah. that's very helpful at a in organizations that I've worked with. I think a lot of the yeah. OKRs kind of frameworks really. Yes. Is it, it's, it's a cascading model. So yes, and I absolutely. About, I often talk about when I'm coaching all this, I can say I can align my individual to my team, but I've got to align my team to my uh, product, my product to my business, and my business to my market. But often, unless you know. You talk to these senior leaders and go, well, what's your what's your opinion of the market? Where is the market going to be in three years? Where is your business going to be in three years? Or, or whatever it is, it's very hard to align those things at a lot much lower level if you don't even thought about those really tough questions. Exactly, exactly, and and like you said, Simon, being able to communicate that, not just you know, say the words, but involve and mm. engage people in that 
in that purpose, right? In those questions, in those answers, so that people take that understanding deep into their hearts, if you will. Yep. Um, and it's not just a PowerPoint presentation, right? Of, of here is where we're going and why. Well, that, 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 yeah. It. It no. <laughs> no. What, as you pointed out, like you can say, this is where I think the market's going to be in three years. This is what I think our customers are going to want in, in next year. If you have someone who talks to customers every day, turn and going, no, 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 that's not what they want. They actually want this. Then you need to fold that back in because uh, to ignore that, I think, would be uh, foolish. Yes. <laughs> when the best people in your organization are telling you, this is what our customers are telling us that yeah. they want from us. Exactly, exactly. And I love how you talk about the, you know, everything tying to each mm. other. Uh, we want that traceability from the smallest task someone is doing in the team all the way up to the the overall organization's strategic ambitions. We should have that traceability. And yeah, we get and that with clarity. Yeah, and we have the tools these days to really make that quite clear and, 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 and connected. So yeah, it's really, uh, it's important. I, I think this clarity is, is really, really important. And, and it's funny that it's the first one that we talked about because it's without that, you can't have that shared view of reality or shared view of our intent, which from which all other conversations flow. Yeah, exactly. I think a part of this too is understanding things that we can't understand. So yeah. uh, we can't understand everything up front. So we need to try something and learn yes. and get that understanding, yeah. get that clarity afterwards. So it, this is tying into the leader saying, I don't know. There, there could be some things that we don't know until we do it or we do something, run some sort of experiment or whatever it is, and then get that knowledge, get that clarity. So um, yes, we can have strategic direction. And at the same time, maybe we still don't know all the answers, but we well, know how to get those answers, right? We know how to get the knowledge. So that's part of that as well. Well, I think that's, I mean, we're coming back to that point you made before that it's gotta be more comfortable for a leader to say, I don't know. but maybe it's needed to separate into this is what we do know about our customers. This is what yeah. we do know about the, the past. Cause you can't not know everything, right. but there's a, this is what we don't know and being uh, okay with experimenting. I mean, that's where I think a lot of, especially in the product space, people can get so um, uh, petrified by having a vision and a strategy, but really it's just an opinion. No one's, yeah. going to, no one's going to know the future. <laughs> no. no one knows the future, but no. using all the, you do the best you can with what you have at that point in time. And that's where a leader needs to have, bring that to the team and say, well, based upon all of the best information we have from myself in the role, from all the people I've talked to throughout the organization, this is my opinion of, of the future. You know, let's march in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many tools that leaders can use to create that clarity as we go. Mm. You know, yes. the, the way we plan in Agile and, and having a, a long and thin plan that's maybe one level down from the overall strategic ambition, but they're higher, uh, maybe uh, less granularity than a portfolio plan. But in that sort of out a year, maybe even two years, with very few details, but then revisit that plan every quarter or, yeah. or sooner yeah. if, if things are moving super fast in the organization. So you get that opportunity, right? To be smarter about where you're going. You're gonna know more as you go along. So, so you're right, you know, having that direction moving forward, we also need to build in the, the process to take in the learnings, right? And adjust the plans. 100%. Yeah. And I think no one will, it's really funny because I don't think you would get too much uh, respect and credibility in an organization if you walk down with these stone tablets of your strategic, you know, no. decreed from the, from management, this is how it shall be. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're in that time anymore. Um, no. And it's funny because this is a really a big point in Andy Grove's high output management, which, you know, one of the areas of OKRs, he, he very much enumerated that the decision model he followed was, free discussion, firm decision, uh, commit and, and support. So yeah. it was very clear for, even from that point that you need to listen before you make a decision. And then, you know, you all, you, and regardless, you all drive forward together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's actually, I mean, I think that's an extremely important point that the clarity is sometimes 
we're moving too fast to create that clarity, but without it, it maybe has a, it can either have a compound positive effect or it can maybe have a drag effect if we're not all on the same page, especially in a, uh, especially in a self-organizing team because they're making their own decisions day to day. Yeah. And if they're making their own decisions and going in a different direction to what you're going in, because they don't fully understand your vision and clarity, overall, you don't move together forward as a team in a streamlined fashion. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So the next uh, uh, area you have for us is competence. Yeah. So we want people to have the skills that they need as well. So, right, I mean, to get the outcomes that we want, we need to have people who know how to do their work. So how can we support competency development? And, and I think hmm, sometimes in organizations, again, leadership or management thinks, oh, this is something that I'm in charge of. I'm in charge of your competency development. Yes. No, <laughs> no, you're not. We're all in charge of our own competency development. Now, you know, feedback plays a role here, of course, in, in identifying where some gaps might be, uh, you know, how we can build on the things that we're already good at, which is easier yes. for the brain. And then look at areas where we might refocus and then, making those possibilities or opportunities available to people in the organization to continually get better at what they do, whether it's yeah. conferences or online learning or what pair, pair work. I mean, there are so many ways and it's really about dedicating the time to that competency development. I think that's maybe the biggest issue that, that we see anyway, that, that people don't have enough time in their daily work or daily life, if you will, to read or to watch mm -hmm. YouTube videos or to talk to people or to, you know, talk to that developer or manager or whoever that you admire and want to learn from. So mm -hmm. how can we create the space for that? Um, and are we doing enough of that in the organization? So for instance, in the um, comparative agility assessment on agile leadership and mindset, the, there are questions there to see, ah, do we have some gaps here? Are there things that we can um, where we can refocus or what are we doing really well in this area where we can build on that and continue to do that or broaden it out into the organization. So yeah, competence is important. Of course, we want quality and we want good stuff and we can only get that with people who know how to do, do the work. Yeah. It's really interesting because um, I used to think the, the sporting analogy was somewhat just of a ham-fisted you know, uh, parallel inside management. But then when you, when, when I started to think about this it's more, especially because we have one of our uh, advisors is an ex um, all black rugby player. And he talked about captaincy and all those kinds of things. But back, come back to my point was uh, it became more and more clear that you have to uh, have the right people in the right positions. Um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't help having a goalie at the forward and, and so, and, and that, and et cetera. And also, are you the best business analyst, QA, software engineer, UX designer, whatever that, that in the right spot on that team? Do you know why you're here? Do you know how you contribute to the team? Do you know how we work together and how, and especially are you interested in how we work best together? Because when I pass something, is it going to be caught effectively so we can all, all work together efficiently? And it's only after that level of subconscious training that they talk about where there's some teams that they don't even need to talk that much because they just have worked together so well. And I've seen yeah. those teams and they're just amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And the great things about, about those teams are not only, you know, are, are they filled with people who are really awesome at what they do? Yes. They also tend to really want to share that awesomeness with mm -hmm. others in the organization and with the team members so that you get more, um, T-shaped or cross-functionality, even with within that um, group, and it's just so cool. And I'm—I uh, know this is podcast. You can see me smiling, but yeah. um, our listeners We're both smiling, can't. Smiling. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I and I just think the reason is that having that sense of purpose or that feeling of I am valued for what I do. Mm. just shoots the dopamine in your brain. So it is a huge intrinsic motivator. So we need more of that. 
and that and that's one of those concepts that came out of uh dan pink's book was like you know autonomy mastery purpose when people do have you know mastery over their role and they have good purpose they are so motivated at work and they will will do exceptional work um but totally the uh, nerve I mean, and I, Sorry. No, 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 you go ahead, but uh, I'll just finish with, uh, you know, the, the, those things don't just happen one by one. They all kind of bounce off each other. So when I have the autonomy to do my work and I have a real great purpose, I want to do better. I want to be a master of my craft. And when I am a master of my craft, I don't need someone telling me what to do. I don't need, you know, someone looking at my shoulder, which costs money, by the way. You know, it's not, you have to hire people to, um, to, to watch people, but that's where autonomy becomes actually... A unique uh, a cost, uh, a profit center almost for your business because you have amazing people doing amazing work and producing amazing outcomes for customers. Totally, totally. I mean that the neuroscience is very clear on on this. When we feel valued, when we know where we're going, when we have influence and autonomy, when we are connected to people, when we feel the organization is is fair, we're motivated. This is like, this is the coolest place to be. It's the only place I want to be. And, and you're right uh, around the sort of micromanaging. We don't have one, it doesn't work, right? It just pisses people off and and good people are not going to stay in an environment where they're sort of being watched. And the other is we don't have time for that, that uh, we're, we're not going to succeed. You know, when we see businesses where the manager's role is, is really micromanaging, (laughs) we're sort of like counting down the years before they go bankrupt because uh, unless they're willing to make changes and it's just this, nobody wants to be there. Well, I think we have moved into a certain time where especially with, you know, this whole remote working situation where you can't be watching everyone all the time. And if you are, it's, that, that's a, there's a huge motivation problem there and, and you're not giving uh, yourself the best chance to have employees who are the best oh. because they won't stand, as you pointed out, they won't stand for that. There's plenty of other uh, places they can go where they will be valued. They will yeah. be paid well and they'll produce awesome outcomes for their customers. Yeah, totally. I have a, I have a little story around that. Um, awesome. A group of project managers were having a a meeting on Zoom and they were talking about, this was fairly early on in in the the lockdown, if if you will, or more working from home. (laughs) And they were discussing, well, how are we going to keep track of our people now? We can't see if they're working. Do we need to have a check-in like every hour to see what they're doing? (laughs) And one of the project managers said, whoa, what are we doing here? This is crazy. This is not what we do. And the other project managers were like, oh, you're right. You're right. No, we're not going to walk. That's crazy. We're not going to do that. <laughs> and so it, it sort of, because the environment shifted, it also made sort of their old way of working so ridiculously clear mm. that mm. that they were like all the light bulbs went off and like no we are not that's not what we're going to do and, and now they're also saying you know when we get back to you know more normal face to face we're back in the office a little more often together we're taking all these great lessons yes. um and, and and putting them into use so that that was a fun story to hear. It was a project manager. It was a friend of ours. So, wow, <laughs> that's that. that's a great story, and I uh, <laughs> hope that they chose the right path. I think. So, I think so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I think there's just not going to be a, a space for the other path anymore. I mean, I think it will slowly die out. I mean, some people have talked how this has advanced our organizations and our technologies. Maybe five to ten years of what was going to happen anyway. Um, so hopefully, people choose the right path and choose to move forward into the future. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, this is actually really interesting because the next, uh, pillar that you've got here or area is control. Yeah. (laughs) That's a big one, right? Yeah. Yeah. We want to feel that, that we have control over our destinies, whether it's sort of in our whole lives or, or also in our work lives. Uh, We get that when we have the clarity, we get that when we have the feeling of, I can do this. I, I know where we're going. And then, you know, being planning together, for example, brings that sense of certainty or control as well. So when you put all that together, it's just, it, it 
changes how we think. It changes how our brains are wired. And that is the mindset shift. And it it is just so important, that control, feeling that we're in control and that no one else is controlling us. It's a huge, huge motivator. And, and so that's the hard part. How does a leader uh, give control to the to the individual, but while still being responsible for the outcome at a, at a, a management level. Like, I think that's a lot of the schism that a lot of um, a lot of leaders feel is like, how can I be held responsible when I don't have all yeah. of the authority? Yeah. How do you how do you respond to that question? Yeah. So here again, there are a couple of things. Um, I think the it's not just the leader that should be responsible. It is everybody who's working on the product should be responsible mm. for that product. So what are the things in the system that we could change to, to make that more clear? But of course, in the end, most managers are, uh, whether they're leaders or just managers, feel yeah. that they have that accountability overall. And so being able to give control, we need to be able to recognize, okay, what is my personal need for control as a leader? And I, I know, I get this. I am such a control freak. I am a total control freak. And when I discovered Agile soon to be 14 years ago, I thought, this sounds awesome. This is so cool. All this, you know, figuring this out together and, and getting these great plans and people are involved and engaged in the process and they're taking ownership and it, oh, this looks really cool. And then when I sort of was jumping into it and an agile coach came in and did a, a master planning session and I saw post-its and papers all over the place and all these people were together and giving their opinions. And I was just like, this is so messy. I hate this. I <laughs> love just going around the organization, talking to people. I had all the information. I'd go back in my nice little office. I'd type up the plan and here you go. And then I'd run around and say, hey, you promised. Oh, what about this? Do you have yeah. time? And uh, so I get that, that control freak need. Um, and the only way that you can change that is through practice. So back to the back to the sports analogies, we need to train our brains to be better, better at giving up control. And you can do that many ways. It doesn't matter if you're training your brain at work or training your brain, you know, when you order dinner out, or <laughs> I have this sort of ongoing training of my own control freak brain, where when I'm in the car with my husband and he's looking for a place to park, I keep my mouth shut. Yeah. And sometimes okay. it is so hard for me to do that. And when I'm stressed, when I'm tired, hungry, whatever, my prefrontal cortex is not working, my amygdala kicks in and I'm like, can't we just park over there? Why can't, why do we have to circle all over the, we have two legs, we can walk. And yeah. then I think, hello, does it matter? Mm. So understanding that, that that need to control is a, a natural thing for us as humans. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's a motivator for me if I can control me and if I can control other people. And I realized that it's not a motivator for other people. So as a leader to practice being able to give up control and start small if it's really difficult, yes. right? So, you know, let somebody else order your coffee for you or, or whatever so you can start training your brain. And again, you know, I think to let people know, let your team members know that, hey, I'm practicing giving up control. Will you help me? Will you hold up the little yellow card and let me know when, when you're feeling like I'm overstepping and, and trying to tell you what to do so that you can be aware of it in the moment. Uh, it takes courage as a leader to be able to do that. And of course, mistakes will happen when you give control. Mm -hmm. There'll be gaps in the clarity, there'll be gaps in the competencies, but then you'll see those gaps and be able to help people fill them, right? Yeah. So if it's clarity gap, you can figure that out together. If it's competency gap, create the space for 
for the person to learn and get better. But the only way we know that is by trusting first. So you have to give control. You can't wait till people have the competency and clarity because we don't know. And depending on your level of control freakness, me, for instance, well, this was, you know, 15 years ago, I never would have given up control because I would have just hung on to, well, people don't have that clarity. They don't have that competency yet. So mm. I need to tell them what to do, which is crazy, right? That's my need and not theirs. So it is a really difficult thing to do and it only happens by practice. I, I'm just blown away by what you just said there because it just, it starts to link together all of the pieces that you just talked about. And the really important thing I got out of what you said is that leaders go first, right? Leaders may need to say, I'm giving up this little bit of control, but then you, it does open up a lot of questions linking together the previous things that we've talked about. Okay, for you to give up that control, do you feel you've got the right competency in your team? Do you feel like you've got the right people on the bus? But then again, if they don't, is that because they don't have the right clarity of what you want from them? Or 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 do you not, you know, are you not on the same page as far as the outcomes that you're pursuing? Um, it just, it starts to open up a whole world of possibilities as a leader when you do take that first step. Um, totally, totally. Yeah. And this is the, the story of Turn the Ship Around, uh, the book by yeah. David Marquet. And intent-based leadership, for example, is based on, you know, giving control via competence and clarity as those pillars. So it ties so well to agile leadership. Um, and, and as you said, Simon, everything fits together. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but, it, but it does require, as we said, leaders to take the first step and to continue to take those steps and, and people will, will uh, lean into that, I believe. Um, if, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. But uh, your, your, your next column is the work environment. How does that play into what we just talked about? Yeah, so uh, we talked about that a little bit about what are the policies and procedures in place? What are the tools that we have in the work environment? So, you know, both the physical and maybe the metaphysical environment uh, of how we work. Now, when we're doing so many meetings online, for example, how do we do our planning sessions? You know, mm. do we have the tools to do those sessions? Oh no, security won't let us have Miro or whatever tool it is. <laughs> it's like, that is crazy. They'd let you have Zoom or Microsoft Teams, but no, we can't have Miro. Yeah, but you know, that's in the cloud. And oh, really none of your other things are in the cloud? Okay, all right. So, you know, all those crazy things, the reward systems that we talked about earlier. Yes. Um, can we have a whiteboard that's dedicated to our team? Can we have a, you know, you name it. Can I get head noise canceling headphones, whatever, whatever. All of those things that influence how we work, we need yep. to fix, right? What are the obstacles that are getting in our way? How do we remove those impediments? And as an agile leader, we need to remove those impediments. We need to fix the environment because we can't fix people. We fix the environment to nudge people into the behaviors that, that we want to get the outcomes that we want. So if we want to understand together and plan together and validate together and reflect together, we better have those tools in place that make it easier for us to do that. Otherwise, people won't. It'll just, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, you know, we, we do work agile, but yeah, that whole JIRA thing, or I don't know how to put those cards in. So can't we just use the Gantt chart or can't, how about Excel? It's like, no. <laughs> so that's what I mean about the work environment. Does I, I, I it doesn't support I, it? Yeah, I laugh because I actually uh, was, uh, I was, how can I put it? Uh, I was helping another friend of a colleague of mine where, um, you know, talking about the new, uh, world of remote working and I just the point I made to him was actually I think people have undervalued tools for a very long time it's always been about mindset and process and that's been great because we've had sticky notes right but I feel like, like one of the most important things in the new world is having good tools giving people good tools to work with and the two that I came up with was one of them was Miro I said that thing has been a game changer for us as far as remote work and collaboration so that's why I laugh uh, when, when you mentioned yeah that. <laughs> but um, it, 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 you talk about, I mean, there's two major things that I hear when, I, when, when you talk is one, yeah, give people the right tools to, to do their job. 
Um, and there's a certain amount of control there to say, well, just tell me what your, your, your tools that you, you need are. Um, you wouldn't tell a, a plumber to use a wrench instead of a, instead of a hammer, like just ask what tool do you need to do your job and give them that tool. I realize it's more, more, um, it's more complex than that from a cybersecurity and budgeting point of view. But at the end of the day, your point is very valid. It's all in the cloud now, right? We haven't had a choice. Everything's in the cloud now. So there's no excuse anymore. No, Um, no. Yeah. And the other thing is that if your work environment is also, you're working to the work environment from before, there can actually be incentives, there can be procedures, there can be policies, which actually undo all the work that you're doing every day with the clarity, confidence and control. Um, if you can't delegate something to someone when you, you know, they, should, they are very capable and trustworthy of doing that because of a policy, that policy needs to change. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And we need more challenging the status quo. Yep. in organizations. Uh, this is what agile leaders do. Sometimes I'm asked, well, is there a role for sort of, especially like the middle manager layer in an organization who's working agile? <laughs> like, yeah, there are so many impediments, so many policies and procedures, so many system oriented things that need to change. It's more than a full-time job. So mm. yeah, totally, totally agree. Yeah. Um... I think it's really, really important, especially and that's that whole compounding velocity thing. If you're if you're just doing things which on the periphery, because that's the way we've always done them. If you're not making those changes uh, around your teams and around the way that you work, you've got enough work to do every day just to get the product out the door and to get outcomes happening. If those things are slowing you down, then you're going to eventually, well, it's going to cost you in the long run. Yeah, yes, yeah. definitely. Are there, are there any uh, particular uh changes that you've seen that come up a lot in in the work environment apart from tools Hmm. i think tools combined with the policies and procedures so Hmm. um especially around failures in an organization um the tendency with failure is if it happens once, then we need to create some new policy or a template or something that we need to fill out or you know a hoop to jump through to make sure that that failure never happens again. Mm-hmm. Where most of the time, probably that failure is not going to happen again, but now we have <laughs> one more template or whatever we need to fill out. And suddenly we have a hundred papers or something that we need to fill out and we're doing more documenting than we are actually producing anything. And that's where we get into trouble. So I think looking at the environment um, in terms of how we deal with mistakes or failure, are they, as Amy Edmondson talks about, intelligent failures, which is what we want in agile ways of working. Um, In that case, we don't for sure need any sort of process change, or are they the sort of, you know, the the stupid mistakes that we make for not following a process that we already have in place? Do we need to have another thing, another process that replaces that, or do we just need to learn from that mistake and, and, you know, hopefully not do it again? Absolutely. I've seen this many times that don't punish everyone for one person's mistake. If someone made a mistake, don't put in a policy, which burdens everyone who didn't make that mistake and an overall slowing the organization down. Yeah, exactly. I think so much frustration comes from that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, the work environment is extremely important, I think. And, and, and a, a leader does need to be aware of it and actively campaign almost champion to say, no, we are going to change the way that we work. Um, so all of us can be, can, can succeed together. Um, and I think that they hold a certain amount of, uh, clarity or a voice at the table which can actually make those kinds of changes and to and to you know make those things happen so it is almost a totally uh with great power comes great responsibility totally uh, totally so yes and that role modeling behavior too you know a, a leader who's just like yep I'm taking this on you're right we need to fix this we need to remove this impediment I mean people, it's the whole boss watching phenomenon. We get inspired by that and, and yeah. want to do it ourselves. So, yeah. 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 When you see people making change, it's a great opportunity to pr- create change makers within your organization. So lead by example. Fantastic. 
Um, so you, one of your other columns is agile, but I think we've kind of <laughs> that, that a lot. Um, yeah, is there anything more to that than, than, than <laughs> probably not? And, I, I, I think, you know, yeah, maybe one other thing that, and this is building on the pragmatism of agile, uh, that agile is not one size fits all. And yep. it drives me insane when, you know, people are taking the Spotify model. It's like, hello, Spotify doesn't even call it the Spotify model. Anyway, uh, instead, if we, if we look at it from the starting point of understanding together, planning together, validating together, and reflecting together, then what we do is agile, right? So it's not so hard to remember. It's common sense, really, not common practice, but common mm. sense. And yeah. those are really the underpinnings of, of agile. This is how we get the outcomes in agile ways of working. So uh, uh, maybe just emphasizing that you don't have to have every certification in agile methodologies to work <laughs> agile. You can actually take common sense practices and bring them into your organizations so now i'm going to be struck by the agile gods who are you know no 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 there's listening a lot of to your podcast uh, <laughs> attitude of aptitude right so yeah. attitude of uh and i actually it's really funny i'm going to tell a personal anecdote here that um i was actually brought into a very uh one of the biggest recruiters in in the world they had an office in sydney and they saw my class and they brought me in to say can you speak to all our recruiters about um uh, about agile because we're having some problems and I came into the room and then just said I gave my little agile class and they were like great Simon we understand all this but the problem that we have is that we get all these people who have agile 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 certification 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 all over their resume but when we send them they get sent back because they just don't fit and we don't know what's going on and it was very clear to me I said well wait a minute so just because you're certified and you have all of the Spotify models you know certifications whatever it is on your resume um doesn't mean that you live and you know breathe and and work in that way. Um, it means that you're great at following directions, but are you great at you know the self-organizing, changing nature and the collaborative nature of agile? And that's why I'd rather someone who works great in team and can tell me how they've applied the agile principles inside their own teams based upon context than someone who gives me 10 certifications. Totally, I totally, totally agree. <laughs> and there are so many great techniques in agile ways of working, right? But in the end, they're, they're actually all facilitation techniques. Every yes, single correct. ceremony or yeah. event in any methodology is a facilitation technique. I agree. I agree. And that's where, <laughs> where, that's where, and this is where leadership comes into it. Anyone totally. can run the, the, the daily standup. Anyone can do the retro. And, and, and it's even better when teams do lean in and say, okay, well, you know, you're going to do it now. I actually had one of our tech leads run our sprint review today. And it was his first time oh, that he, he really jumped in and had a great time. And <sighs> it, you could tell that everyone had a, had skin in the game. They yes. were all trying to get to the end, to the end. And that's the difference, right? So if we have clarity about why we're doing these different events, in Agile, mm -hmm. and I, I love most of them, right? Because it helps us get the outcomes that we want. It helps train our brain to understand together and plan together and do all that together. Yep. And in the end, what we want are, you know, not a scrum master whose sole job it is to facilitate the events. We want team members who can lean into it, as, as you said, Simon, and, and yeah. you know, really feel like, yes, this is, this is cool. Yeah. So, yeah. I've, 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 some, I've, I've actually changed my view on that, actually. I, feel, I believe Scrum Mastering is a set of behaviors, not a role, um, from which we all should be Scrum Masters in a, in a team. So, that's a um, great that's way to think about it. I love that. Yeah. It's taken a couple of decades, but I've finally got there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And that's really interesting that we talk about that because the final pillar is mindset. So, how does an agile leader have a mindset, especially when it's, we just kind of talked about that. It's actually everyone's mindset inside the team. Yeah. Yeah. And the only way to get there is to act your way to new thinking. So we mm -hmm. can't think our way to new acting. And, you know, this is not just in change processes, but just everyday life that if we want to become more agile in, in how we think, we need to act more agile in what we do. So the behaviors need to support what we're trying to achieve. We can't just sort of come in and, and change people's mindsets. We can't like give a book and say, hey, read this and you're gonna change your mindset or have a workshop or whatever. Mm. 
it takes time, it takes patience, it takes failure, it takes learning, it takes reflecting. Uh, there's so much that's involved in it. And, and it is a, a lifelong process of, of shifting mm -hmm. mindsets. So, and there's some things that are quicker to change, you know, like habit shifting um, and others that take forever. So, you know, my, my need to tell my husband where to park is probably going to be with me forever, but I'm still working on it, right? So I want to have that shift. I want to have my behavior help my brain rewire. And again, the neuroscience is quite clear on this. When we do something, when we act in a different way, the connections in our brain become stronger and we're more likely to think in a new way about what it is that we're doing. And you know, if you wanna experiment with this or if your listeners wanna experiment with this, you can decide to do something so for me, I, uh, after I knew this neuroscience, what, what I thought, ah, I want to see if I can shift my mindset about running. And I had been running, at the, I think at the time I was like 45 years old. Mm -hmm. And I had been running since I was 18, it, just for physical exercise, not because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to join the Olympics or anything, um, and hated it. But it's quick, it's easy, doesn't really require much equipment. You could do it anywhere. And I always loved it when I was done with it, but I never had that sort of, you know, endorphin rush that people talk about. It's just like, good, that's done, check the box, I'm done yeah. with that. I yeah. And so I thought, you know what? I've been running how many years and hating it? Let's see if I can change it. So I thought, okay, great. I've decided to change my mindset about how I think about running. So of course, the first thing I did was go out and buy some cute running clothes and some new shoes. Because mm -hmm. um, I was like, yeah, now I'm excited about putting those on. I left them out the night before, put them on in the morning, and then started running. And the normal things happen like, oh, my knee hurts. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, yes, my knee hurts. And aren't I lucky I have knees? <laughs> and, you know, so I would reframe every single negative thought that was happening in my brain. Yep. And it took me nine months to not hate running. Now, did I ever like get up and like, lo love it? No, but I stopped hating it. I, I actually yeah. was like, oh, this, you know, this will be good, but not mm -hmm. this will be great. So you can do this. You can change your mindset by acting a new way. And when you get those thoughts in your head that remind you of your old way of working or old way of behaving, to reframe it, to find, you know, acknowledge it, right? It's important to acknowledge it yeah. and then find something else in it that leads you to the mindset that you actually want. And leaders at every level in an organization can also help people shift mindsets by creating the environment that makes it easier to have the behaviors that you want. And also to acknowledge where people are on their journeys, if you will, that not everybody's yeah. in the same starting point. And when you know you hear things that people say that sort of remind of the old behaviors and are not what you want, you can say, yes, you know, I know this is hard. And the reason we're doing this is, and then mm -hmm. bring in whatever those benefits are so that we can help people support and encourage people through this mindset shift process. Now I've been talking a lot, Simon. I'm, I, I have my soapbox that I love to stand on about this topic. Especially. That's what this podcast is. <laughs> uh, it's fine with us. But no, that's, that's all very, very important because it is a very, it can almost be a personal mission for, for an agile leader to, to do all the things that you've just talked about. Um, and the most important thing that you talked about is progress. Like even in, in is to keep a culture of we're always going to get up. We're always going to try again. We're always going to make it. It, it may change how fast you are doing it. You may maybe slow at the start, faster at the um, later, and even go back to being slower at some point. But that mindset of actually driving the organization to um, have a have a focus on progress and keeping moving forward is 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 a really key part that agile leaders can play inside the overall you know organism of the organization because. Um, as I said, you know, them taking the first move and them leading from the front is, it's not all about self-organization. Lead, agile leaders are extremely useful and almost one could say, you know, uh, necessary to, to keep the organization moving, in, especially in times of doubt, 
in times of uh, change. You know, people do want to uh, look to those people to, 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 to show a path forward. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Great. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast, Jenny. Um, uh, Where can people find out more about what you've been working on? Yeah, um, people can get in touch with me at jenny at goagile.dk. We also have a a new book. It's called Together, How Leaders Involve and Engage People to Get Great Things Done. And of course, comparativeagility.com. That's the place to go. Um, Especially, you know, I really, really encourage people to go to Comparative Agility, not only only for agile leadership and mindset, but there's also a lot of other cool um, assessments so that you can benchmark where you are in your organization against other companies, other teams, and look at, okay, where are the opportunities that, that we can refocus and also the great things that we can build on. So go to comparativeagility.com. Great. That's exactly what I was going to say. So sign up for <laughs> oh. free account. Go, go do the, uh, go do the, uh, the best part is actually to benchmark yourself. As you said, just do it straight away. Do uh, have a starting point and it will actually give you the right spots you want to focus on to continue that continuous, uh, create that continuous improvement journey and to, to retake that test, that, that, that survey in three months time and just see how things are changing and, 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 and foster that change within inside your own organization. But really enjoyed having this conversation with you today, Jenny. Thank um, you. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Simon.